You are listening to Meat and Potatoes, a 12-week teaching series from Jubilee Church. Meat and Potatoes is an expression used to convey the most important and basic part of an idea or practice. This series will explore some of the most critical elements of Christian faith. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. So we, we, are, we are talking about uh, the staples of our faith, and, and today I, I want to talk about something that is perhaps one of the most central aspects of, of what it means to be a Christian, but I, I, I do need to warn us, because today I, I, I have the sense that a lot of us, or at least a few of us, or some of us, are, aren't going to like this, um, and because it, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be difficult to hear, but kind of the, the, the deal that you and I have, uh, my, my promise to you is, is to never pander to you, is to never, for the sake of being liked or, or seeing uh, the, the church grow, to, to, to say things that I think you want to hear and to, to avoid the things that you don't. Uh, because in the end, if that's what I'm doing, it's not very loving because in the end, Jubilee is about me. It's not about you. It's not about God. It's not about the gospel. It's not about uh, the city that God's called us to reach. It's really about me. And that's not something that I want to do um, because we, we need to understand all of who God is. It's, it's very, very true that he is so merciful. I mean, he sent his own son uh, to die on our behalf, to have his blood shed on our behalf. Uh, there, there's, there's no length he will not go to see uh, one person saved. He would have died just for you. Um, but yet at the same time, uh, this, this God will not be mocked. Uh, he, he will stomp out all of his enemies until, um, until they're all gone. And uh, if you don't know both, both uh, aspects of, of who God is, uh, you'll either run from him or somehow you'll wake up each morning with this smug sense of entitlement as if you run the universe. And that kind of thinking will lead to bondage. But there's another kind of thinking that if you're willing to go through that will lead to freedom. So all those in favor of freedom? Okay, well, so on that chipper note, um, the subject today is repentance. Uh, the thing I want to talk to you today is, is repentance. And what we learn in this passage is that Jesus says that uh, the key uh, to everything is to repentance. At every circumstance, the key to addressing, responding to every circumstance um, is repentance. In the text that we read, some people had brought up a couple of tragedies uh, that had happened. And they were essentially asking, like, why did this happen? Uh, which is something we all do when something terrible happens. Uh, you know, why did I uh, lose my job? Why, why are my kids uh, sick? Why did my uncle get cancer? Why am I in this situation? Uh, because uh, not everyone lost their job. Not everyone got sick. Uh, not everyone has cancer. Uh, uh, why, th- why me and not them? Are they better than me? Or put it negatively, am I worse than them? And that's what people were asking Jesus. They were, it says, uh, were the ones who were killed worse sinners than the ones uh, who were spared? Um, and this is our natural human response, almost instinctively, uh, when we experience calamity. This is our, ex- instinctively, we compare ourselves to others. That's what, that's what we do. When something bad happens to us, we think, are they better or am I worse? And that's what these guys we're doing. Um, in other words, if, if something bad happens to me, what have I done wrong? 
what have I done wrong? What have I done to deserve this? I must have done something wrong. Uh, but on the other hand, if, if something good happens to us, we, uh, we correlate or we ascribe the reason why we have superior circumstances is because of our superior character. So of course I get good grades because I study. Of course I got the promotion because I'm a great worker. Of course my kids uh, are doing well in school because I'm such a great parent. So regardless, if something bad happens to us, we compare ourselves to others. And if something good happens, we compare ourselves to others. So it's, you know, if I'm doing better, well, I'm because I am better. If I'm doing worse, it's because I am worse. And Jesus' answer to this line of questioning is no. And then he adds, and then he adds this, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So they, they say, you know, are we worse? Be, are they worse people because this tower fell on them? No, they're not worse. And if you don't repent, the same thing's going to happen to you. Jesus is telling us that when bad things happen to us, that the right response isn't to compare ourselves to others, but it's to repent. It's always in order to repent. So when you see bad things happening, like, Christians being martyred like we've seen in the news, our our response should be repent. When you don't get the promotion that you hoped you've got, the the right response is to repent. When your kids get sick, the right response is to repent. It's always the right response to repent. When there's injustice in the world, it's a time to repent. When there's rioting in your city, It's not a time to take your moral high ground. It's not a time to look down on others. It's not a time to shake your head in disgust, regardless of whatever perspective that you have. It is an excellent time to repent. But it's not just when bad things happen to us. Check out what it says in, in Romans 2. Paul says this, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So when bad things happen to us, we should repent. But when good things happen to us, we should repent. When towers don't fall on you, you should repent. When you do get the promotion, you should repent. When your kids don't get sick, you should repent. All of life is an opportunity to repent. Unless you repent, that Paul says, you are treating the kindness of God with contempt. Uh, I'll say that you cannot worship God if you live with a sense of, I deserve every good thing that comes my way. You just cannot do it. Uh, And anything bad that happens to you is somehow a capital offense to your sovereignty. If you live with that mindset, you can't worship God. Worship only exists in the context of a humble and a grateful heart. And, my, and your gratitude begins where your sense of entitlement ends. If you live with this sense of good things should happen to me and bad things shouldn't happen to me, uh, you're just not in a place of, your, your, your heart's not in a place of worship. Bad things are designed to lead you to repent. Good things are designed to lead you to Repent. That's what it says here. And in fact, we, we know a, a very uh, famous passage in Romans 8.28 that, that 
uh, God works all things together for our good to conform us to the image of his son. Another way of saying that God allows good things and bad things to happen to us so that we can repent. It's because it's through repentance that we become more and more like Jesus. This is why uh, the great Protestant leader Martin Luther said in the beginning of his 95 Theses that all of life is repentance. All of life is repentance. And he was just summing up something Jesus said in Mark 1.15. Uh, he, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And then when he was, he was gathering his disciples and teaching them what to say, he says, here's what I want you to say to people. You should proclaim that people should repent. And then when uh, the early church had started in, in Acts 2 and Peter preaches his message and, and it says that people were cut to the heart and they're like, well, what should we do? And he says, what do you think? Repent. Repent. That in every situation, we need to repent. I can stand in front of you this morning and I think without fear of exaggeration or overstatement that repentance is the key to anything good happening to you. It is the gateway. In fact, the the Bible says that unless you repent, God has nothing to offer you. James says uh, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes those who don't repent. So regardless of wherever you're at today, the the answer is to repent. Are Are you sad? You should repent. Are you happy? You should repent. Are you mad? You should repent. Are you excited? You should repent. Did you say hi to your pat? You should repent. You should. (laughs) Repentance is the only way that you can deal with your happiness, with your sadness, with your madness without it destroying you. We need to repent. We need to continue to repent. John Newton said that the gospel that we receive through repentance is the only way to make both the worst situations bearable and the best situations leavable. That's a great, that's a great litmus test to understanding our unit is this place of repentance. Any situation in your life right now that you find unbearable, you know what the key is for it, not to, for it to be bearable? Is if you repented. If you say, if, if you repented, any situation in your life that you find unleavable, your house, you can never give up that house. I can never give up that job. I can never give up that relationship. I can, I can never give up that hobby. I can never, I won't, I can't give it up and I won't give it up. Any situation in your life that you find unleavable. Man, I tell you what, and this is, Maybe hard to hear, and I don't want you to get the wrong idea of God, but God's grace to you today, if you're in that situation, is that he takes it away. So that you can enter into freedom, into life. So what is repentance? What is repentance? Well, it's a conviction of at least two things that are not very popular. Uh, The first key to repentance is, number one, you deserve bad things to happen to you. The key to repentance is being convinced of this reality that you deserve bad things. I deserve bad things. I deserve for towers to fall on me. That's what Jesus was saying. 
you deserve this too. It's being convinced of that. No, these people who died aren't worse than you. You deserve that. Repent unless you likewise perish. Jesus' assumption, which is not mean or vindictive, it's just reality, is that we is not that we are basically good people. It's that we are depraved. Now, I, I realize that just flies way, way, way in the face of, of, of what culture would have to say. Uh, as modern uh, people, uh, our assumption is, yeah, there's a few genocidal maniacs that deserve towers to fall on them. Uh, but most of us are good people who deserve a good life. Most of us are good people who deserve a good life. Um, and so whenever something bad happens to us, we're like, oh, how can that happen? And so how can, how can bad things happen to good people? I just want to say that that's not just bad theology. It's bad philosophy, and, I, and I'll explain that. Because the assumption that good things need to happen to good, your assumption is that you deserve, that God owes you a good life. That's the basic, if you believe that, if you walk around saying, well, how could this ever happen? The, the underlying assumption is that God owes you a good life. Let me just ask, um, where'd you get that idea from? Let me put it this way. If I walked around and I slandered you because you, because I said, you know, this guy's a, you know, this person is just a, a slime. He owes me 50 grand. Uh, he's just a slime ball. Like a low grade basic response to that is what makes you think you, I owe you 50 grand? Well, I'm a good person. Well, that's nice that you're a good person, but what's that have to do with my $50,000? Well, well, actually, in our court system, I mean, you could be, you know, countersued if you, if you, if you, if you cannot prove that, the, if I cannot prove that you owe me $50,000, the burden on proof is, well, the, the reality is, what, what does God owe you? What have you done for God that he owes you a good life? What have you done? The reality of this is his world, and we have rebelled against his goodness. And like spoiled children, we've run out in the middle of the street and blamed God when we get hit. The philosophical problem that no one wants to address isn't why there is so much suffering in the world. It's why there is so little suffering. We assume that we are righteous and deserve a good life. Jesus assumes that we are lost sinners and deserve death. Now, before you discard that idea, I just want to ask, what is your explanation for why the world is the way it is? The Bible has, it, it, it says because of sin. Why is it that when you give all the power to a few people in something like capitalism, it becomes, um, people become selfish and exploitative? Or why is it when you give, all, when you give power to the many, people become lazy and unproductive? Why is it that regardless of the political and economic system, human beings have a way of messing it all up? The Bible has an answer for that. It's called sin. It's, it's, so the key to repentance, the pathway for you receiving good things, is having the conviction that you deserve bad things to happen to you. That's why Isaiah cries out, 
in Isaiah 6, 5, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. The prodigal son, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. This person's repentant because they're convinced that bad things should happen to them. The, th- the thief that Jesus welcomed into paradise on the cross, the thief on the cross, we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. We deserve to be hung on a cross. Is that where you're at today? Paul declares to the Corinthians, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so you suffered no loss. Repentance feels like a loss. And it is. It's a loss of you. But it's a gaining of, it's a gaining of Christ. And when you lose you and gain Christ, there is no loss. Because verse 10 says, For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation. And not just salvation past and salvation future, but salvation present. That God will save you from your circumstance. He'll save you from the, from the bad things that are bringing you down. And he'll save you from the good things that are bringing you down too, but you just don't realize it. Understanding that you deserve bad things is number one key part of repentance that Jesus took. The second thing is being convinced that Jesus is committed to saving you from what you deserve. So on one hand, you need to be convinced that you deserve for towers to fall on you, but you also need to be convinced that Jesus is absolutely committed to saving you from towers falling on you. He's absolutely committed. Um, that's what we see here um, in the parable, verses 6 uh, through 10. He, he talks about a fig tree that deserves to be cut down. It, it's, it's, it should have produced fruit three years ago. And it's not producing fruit. But the vine dresser is compassionate. The vine dresser is committed to the tree. Uh, it's committed to getting fruit out of that. It, it wants to avoid it being cut down. So the vine dresser begs, more year, begs for one more year. You know, I'll, I'll build water around it. I'll fertilize it. I'll irrigate it. I'll, I'll get fruit out of it. I mean, he's absolutely committed to saving this tree. Even though it deserves to be thrown away. Because it's taking up space. And it should have produced fruit three years ago. Give me one more year, the vine dresser. Well, who's the tree in this story? Class? Who's the tree? Us, yes, us. And the fruit in this is, 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 is um, godliness. It's repentance. It's, it's, it's that. And... The vine dresser is Jesus. For, let me, I love this verse. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know, that's another, that's another big thing, just on the subject of suffering in the world. Why did, you know, if God's so good, why didn't he just get rid of all the evil? Well, he'd have to get rid of a lot of us. 
but he is not slow. He is not unconcerned, but he is waiting. He is committed. He's saying, give me one more year. I do not want this tree to be uprooted and discarded, even though it deserves it. Repentance is being convinced that you deserve to be uprooted and thrown away. But also being convinced that Jesus is committed to saving you. How does repentance keep us from what we deserve? How does it actually happen? Well, I already mentioned the prodigal son. I think you can see it here. Um, the prodigal son, of course, you know, he takes his inheritance. Um, the father was going to had two sons and was going to, you know, equally give uh, his inheritance to, to to the sons. And he asked for his part of the inheritance, and he runs off and blows the entire thing. And he comes back, and he's saying to himself, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm not worthy of being a, called a son. I'll return as a servant. And so he comes and he repents, but how does the father respond? Well, the father kisses him. The father puts a robe around him. The father puts, puts a, a ring on his finger, kills a fatted calf, throws a party, shows him mercy. He deserved to be treated like a slave, but the father treated him like a son And the older brother resented it. You know why the older brother resented it? It's because the ring that the father put on the younger brother's hand was his ring. It was his robe. It was his fatted calf. And he resented it. For the older brother, or excuse me, for the younger brother to get what he didn't deserve... It meant taking it from the older brother who maybe did deserve it. Here's the wonderful truth of the gospel is that we have an older brother in Jesus who says to the father, I will pay the price. I will run the race. I will lay down my life so that when my brothers and sisters repent, they can have my robe. They can have my ring. And that's how repentance keeps us from what we deserve. We have a vine dresser. We have an older brother who's absolutely committed to us. But it's important that we both understand the bad news and the good news. If you only understand the first conviction, if you only understand that you deserve death, you... um, there's a kind of worldly regret that benefits us um, nothing. There's a self-loathing uh, that uh, Paul declares in Second um, Corinthians seven ten. Salvation without regret. Salvation without regret. Repent. True repentance enables you to let go of your past. If you're walking around and you're just like, I feel bad. I feel bad. I feel bad. And you're this cycle of self-loathing. That's not repentance. You haven't turned away from anything. You've only realized that you deserve a tower to fall on you. But you actually don't, there's no no faith in you that says, but Jesus will save me. True repentance allows you to uh, let go of the past. True repentance allows you to let go of 
regret that, yes, I deserve for a tower to fall on me, but Jesus stood in my place and a tower fell on him. It's completely paid for. And by faith, you pursue Jesus. Repentance is a turning around. It's not just this feeling of, I wish that hadn't happened. It's not just feeling I wish it would happen, but it is a turning around. It is a change in direction. It's a completely change. So, um, so if you only know um, the bad news, but not the good news, you're just, you'll just get into this cycle of self-loathing. But also, if you only know the good news without the bad news, you're going to be like, well, of course God forgives, forgives me. It's his job. That's what God does. That's why Paul says, don't presume upon the kindness of God. Don't treat it with contempt. If you only just know that, yeah, God will forgive me, but there's nothing inside of you that, that hates what you've done. There's nothing inside of you that wants to make it right. There's nothing inside of you that says, treat me like a slave. I'm not worthy to be called a son. There's nothing inside you that is, understands the depth and the cost to which Jesus paid. You haven't really repented. Now there's just one more thing I want to say about repentance that you need to know. And that needs to, it needs to happen today. I mean, that's what the story tells us. This text teaches that God is allowing both good things and bad things to happen. And they're all opportunities to repent. But you must never say, I'll repent next year. You must never say, I'll repent. There's, there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, it will harden your heart to the point where there's no turning back for you. So yes, in this story, Jesus is absolutely commitment. Give it another, give it another year, give it another year. But Hebrews 3 declares, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Which means the fact that you're tender toward God today is grace to you. But when you, every time, every time that you feel this kind of conviction, you, you, the Bible is very clear. You have two ways to go. You can, you can worship in light of that, which means that you, you humble, you repent, and there's gratitude for what he's done, and there's uh, humility in what you've done, and you turn to him and worship. Or you do a sinister thing, Romans 1 says, and that you exchange the truth of God into a lie, and you, you become blinded. You become hardened. So, so Hebrews 3, 7 says, Today if you hear his voice, Today's the day you need to repent or your heart will become hardened. Every time that you feel the conviction of God and you don't repent, your heart gets hardened. And then there'll be a day where you just won't care anymore. And as Pink Floyd says, it just is another brick in the wall that you've constructed between you and God. And one of these days, God may just give you what you're asking for, which is for him to leave you alone. Um, number two, and this is just so clear in the teaching of Jesus, there may not be a next year. There may not be a tomorrow. The end is coming soon. Or your end is coming soon. And Jesus is so clear that we are to be ready. That we are to stay ready. That we are to keep our lamps full of oil. That we are to 
not f- fall asleep on the job, but we need to be ready. Well, how do you be ready? Well, you repent. That's how you get ready, is you repent. Some know you need to repent, but some of you, and you're the ones I worry about, are resting in this false assurance that you've done good things. And so, like, I mean, some of you today are going to be like, man, I've not really trusted God. I've not really surrendered to God. Um, Some of you know that. Some of you don't. Some of you just have this vague sense of like, well, I go to church. Of course I'm okay with God. Well, I I do these good things, and I'm I'm a a good parent, and I I lead a good life, and, and of course God's okay with me. And I just want to say, he, he loves you, but you're not okay. Matthew seven twenty one through 23. A verse I just would love to avoid. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says a prayer, not everyone who says, I receive you in my heart. That's why we use the word surrender, because you're surrendering to his will, not your will. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do Mighty works in your name. How many here prophesy? Raise your hand. How many of you cast out demons? Not have casted out demons, but you cast out demons. Raise your hand. How many of you, a couple. How many of you would say that you do many mighty works? Raise your hand. Many mighty works. Okay, here's my point. This is a varsity list of good deeds. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Don't think for a second that anything good that you are leaning on that has to do with you is doing you any good. It is false, false assurance. There's only less than a percent of us who can match this list of good deeds. And they didn't make it. Today, today today is a great day to repent. Um, My wife, she, I've learned that she can, um, she she senses things and dreams things that are are quite prophetic, meaning like they're quite can be quite accurate. When I was I had been married to when I first realized this, I'd been married to her a year, and I was just trying to st- I was still trying to figure out the whole toilet seat thing. So I like I didn't know much about what it meant to be married, and 
And um, she, we had, she had this dream. We were, we are friends with this couple. And she had this dream. Uh, they, sorry, they were, they were just starting to date. And she had this dream one night. And in the dream, um, this couple, this couple that started dating were, were sleeping together. And they had gotten pregnant. And um, this girl, they ended up having an abortion. She's, she tells me this dream. She's like, should I, what, should I tell him? I know. No. Why, why would you do that? And, and so they wanted to talk to us. We were friends with them like a month or so later. They wanted to talk to us. And they're like, hey, you know, um, we want to tell you something. Like, what's that? You know, what's going on? They're like, well, we're, she's pregnant. You know, I'm looking. I'm looking <laughs> I look at my wife. Who are you? And, <laughs> and, uh. You know, it's like, she's like one of the X-Men or something. And so we, um, so I, I blurt out, hey, she had this dream. And, 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 then, and then I said, and I said in the dream, I, said, I just got like, man, this is, you guys need to do something with this. Because in this dream, it led to uh, her having this, abor- this abortion. And then you guys just, it, the relationship just blew up in the dream. I didn't say that part. The relationship just blew up. And they're like, we, we will not do that. We love this. We want to love this baby, and we're gonna get. We're gonna be happy. And da da da. da. Well, a month later, they, she had an abortion, and the relationship blew up. And so, I've learned. I'm not a sharp guy, but I've learned to listen to my wife when she has these kinds of insights. And so two, two weeks ago, um, she, she came, uh, we came into service. She came in, she comes to the second service and she's crying. And uh, she just talks about how she just had this really dark um, sense over her. And um, that she could she could sense the the anger of God, which is weird because she's sensing this and and and, and then you know people are up here the mercies of God and, just, and she's just like you know she's feeling this burden to that that God's really laid something strongly in her heart and uh, and so she's she I, we talked more about it but just how she felt burdened and the and the anger and just the um, the um, the lack of awareness in us of of what we deserve and the lack of awareness in us of how God wants to save us if we would just repent and she began to think about the people that she knows and loves that she just began to feel this really despair um, because of the reality of that, and you know, you know, I know that our name's Jubilee. I know we're Happy Church, and but I think it's important that we contemplate from time to time um, that that God will not be mocked; that we will reap 
what we sow, that we do deserve towers to fall on us. But thanks be to Christ, he is absolutely committed to saving us. And if you haven't humbled yourself today, today is a great day to repent. Today is a great day to repent of your independence. It's a great day to repent of your apathy toward your neighbor. It's a great day to repent of your sense of entitlement, your lack of gratitude. We need to hold these both. They, they seem to oppose each other, but we need to hold on to them both. We deserve towers to fall on us, but we need to be so confident in the fact that Jesus is committed to saving us. And just as the scripture says, those that he has set free, we, we are free. We have to go back and, and keep checking. Keep, no, we're, we are free. But we need to live this life. As Martin Luther said, as Jesus said, of continual repentance. You happy today? Repent. Are you sad today? Repent. Are you mad? Repent. Are you excited? Repent. Are you confused? Repent. 